are tuned in to New Stars with Neil Clark playing the up-and-coming artist first. Hear their stories before anyone else. Coming up on today's show. Hi and welcome to New Stars Show. Today I'm talking to a music producer, actor and a filmmaker. He's also the founder of the Aranova Rhythm Collective. He is Chris Anthem Wozniak. Welcome to the show, Chris. Yeah! Woo! USA! USA! Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Um, thank you, Neil, for this opportunity. Also to... Um, my songwriting partner, Rusty Mink, yeah. uh, but you know, Mankowski, who you might have uh, heard of uh, last month, and uh, there's even another relation, uh, Ariel Reynolds, Ariel Ryder, who uh, does some work with us. So there's a bit of a connection throughout. Uh, Neil is obviously finding some of the best talent around, and uh, we're finding each other, so it's one big, beautiful world. Let's, let's all make music. Well, we are. well, you are. You are definitely making wonderful music. And you're going off into a different direction. Um, yeah. Unlike any band or artist that I've heard. So we'll cover that. We'll cover that and why we're going in that general direction. Um, but why music for you? You could have, you could do anything in the world. Why music? Music is something that for me, uh, I feel like wasn't really a choice. What, from the time I was little, um, my parents, my mother was an actress and a musical actress and a darn good one and one that was well written up for a fine theater in Chicago from doing, uh, Sam Shepard plays, uh, being at the Steppenwolf with those guys, being Chicago's leading lady, uh, for many years. And I think part of the influence was, uh, I remember my father, probably for the first time, trying to put my sister and I into a formal dress. Um, uh, we, we were wearing like a ruffled uh, shirt. And I mean, I must have been three years old and my sister a year younger. And I said, where's my mother? I've never had my father try to like put, you know, a clip on tie on me. And he was fumbling with it. Well, my mother was preparing for opening night here in Chicago as a leading lady in a play called Company, a musical play where people sing, and there's eight couples singing on different levels, there was like the Hollywood Squares, you know, then the staging. My father brings me down there uh, with my sister, <clears throat> and still don't know where my mother is, she's usually not missing, <clears throat> but she decided to go back into the theater after being at the Fascinating Playhouse in the late 60s and studying with Stella Adler and the greats, she decided the kids were old enough now to go back to the theater. I'm at the back of the theater, the curtain opens, the lights come on, there's my mother singing, indoors, outdoors, here comes the company, the company. And I start and I go, there's mom. And I start running down the aisle. <laughs> and she's like an inch tall, you know, I mean, just all the way down, running down the hall, mop the aisle, mommy, mommy, you know, <laughs> dad, dad doesn't know how to cook, you know, whatever, but she was in character, so my father comes running after me. Since that point, I never knew when I was being disciplined by my mother, whether she was really that deeply emotionally upset by me, or whether she was replaying like a Charlie Chan scene she had seen on WGN television here because she was such <laughs> a good actress. So when I got older, I realized that it was going to be filmmaking for me. Um, pretty early on, I was um, a technical director at our community theater, the Village Players here. Um, worked with Tom Lennon, who plays... Uh, 
Dango, Lieutenant Dango on Reno 911. He's the shorts wearing kind of a, um, questionably sexual, uh, sergeant. Uh, he also was on The Odd Couple, um, recently playing Felix. Uh, he's a great comedic actress. 17 again. He was my classmate and a protege of my mother and her creative talent. Uh, wow. when I was, uh, these are all answers to your question. When my mother was, uh, uh, when I was very little, I would read lines with my mother when she was learning to audition for a play. She'd be Mary and I'd be Johnny, you know, uh-huh. and I would be four years old. She'd be like, but Johnny, I know you're having an affair. And then so four year old was like, I'm not having an affair. (laughs) (laughs) But she had a line reading partner, even though I was very little. So when I got older, I got into acting a bit. But you kind of never want to do what your parents do. And so for very few people, that's successful acting or money-making acting or a career of acting. But for me... It was. I, I'm, I'm an amazingly improvisational actor and also stu- master student of my mother because of those line readings. Well, let's hear. Let's hear your first track uh, that you sent me, and um, this is very soulful. This track, and it's called "Get Your Thrills On."
welcome back. That was the fantastic song uh, from the Aranova Rhythm Collective. Uh, it's called Get Your Thrills On. What do you think about that one? It's really soulful, wasn't it? I've got Chris Anthem Wozniak with me. Woohoo! Um, woohoo! Um, so, Chris, where do you get your inspirations from? My inspirations came mainly from television commercials in America. I'm sorry, I have to have a big sip of iced coffee because that's quite a can of worms, the topic that I'm about to open. Musical themes as part of television in America um, for me did it, and there were amazing ones. And I'm not just talking about the um, the yeah. national ones. Uh, we have a national song, you know, do, 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 or like, you know, all the little sounds and, you know, audio gimmicks that are out there. But I mean, the local Chicago, <laughs> you know, commercials that they produced for like a hundred dollars. Yeah. Or some used car ownership. Like, uh, there was one called Long Chevrolet, right? And Long Chevrolet was, um, uh, a Chevy dealer on the suburbs of Chicago, and they shot in the cable studio these really cheap-ass commercials where they had a newspaper boy in a newspaper hat, and he always had a headline. And Now, this is obviously the really poorly or not very creative suggestion of probably the owner of Long Chevrolet, uh-huh. and that was probably his grandson, right? Uh-huh. But I, I didn't know this as a kid. But they had a very specific little long Chevrolet jingle. And the kid would always come up with the headline, Extra, extra, this week, Buick 95, a six-cylinder, on sale, seven ninety nine, And he would do like three of those throughout the commercial. But on the last one, somebody would always give him a pie in the face. <laughs> like on, on set, like a shaving cream pie in the face. And then you hear everyone laughing. So that, that was every commercial. But I remembered the jingle. You know, and then we had like a Empire Carpets. It's like, 588-2300 Empire Order Today. You know? <laughs> and these little, I, I didn't know. I was, I, I'm a very creative bloodline family. And my family was very receptive to music and played music. But when I was in the back of my father's car, and they were playing 588-2300 Empire Order today, I was like Manhattan Transfer, you know? I was like, unsuspecting girl from Texas, how the future through the twilight zone. I didn't know the difference between <clears throat> a great song he was playing and this jingle. So I would just start absorbing little 10 second parts of longer songs and I've developed this ability of retention to uh, to absorb and then be able to sing back out very short hooks <laughs> very short hooks just little short parts of songs you know like uh, you, know, you say Led Zeppelin and I'll say wait out inside what would you need to love? Can only give you my love. You know, you might say like uh, Elton John, don't let the sun go down on me. And it's like immediately there's a five-second loop of something that references every artist I've ever seen. And I developed that skill early on uh, through local television commercials. So, so who has influenced you the most? As far as major artists, yeah. um, Peter Gabriel's first four albums. And uh, after that, um, you know, I like uh, Sledgehammer and all that garbage. But the first four albums uh, of Peter Gabriel's, I thought, uh, probably influenced me more than anything else. The, the ability to combine unique instrumentation with an ambient sound, uh, don't give up with Kate Bush. I mean, come on. Who doesn't want to be up there tied back-to-back to Kate Bush 
singing a ballad that's all digital instruments. I mean, you can't get much cooler than that for me. I didn't need to be Metallica, you know. I needed her going like, don't give up, like, you know, in my ear. And I'm like, I'm like this. So the first floor, um, Peter Gabriel, uh, obviously Pink Floyd, and, you know, early Pink Floyd, Sid Barrett, uh, I thought was, uh, you know, just amazing. Uh, uh, early Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, of course. Um, and um, but more recently, as I got older, uh, Ministry, Nine Inch Nails, um, the great techno, electro, power rock groups that I started working on music videos for. Well, let me take you to the um, your new group now, being the Aranova Rhythm Collective, because oh that, <gasps> that started in 2019 by a group of Chicago multi-instrumentalist and studio regulars, including yourself, Vessie Mink, and Roger Ebner. Now, uh, ARC epitomizes the modern soul flow movement, merging exotic soundscapes, feel-good instrumentation, uplifting lyrics, patterned into sing-along choruses that move audiences. Now, ARC is, what you say, a new church for people who want to let the music sway them upward. So my question is, Amen. is there a particular demographic that ARC is aiming at? That's a good question, Neil. Um, ARC is aiming with an ARC, like an ARC welder, would, uh, would aim. ARC is... The new, the, the point is, no, no. Arc is forming. Arc is creative. Arc is not, um, targeted. There is no demographic, uh, for Arc other than the demographic that Arc is building from scratch. That new demographic, like, it's saying like, hey, we're going to put on the first Burning Man festival ever. Okay, mm. we're going to have no money, people are going to have to barter stuff, people are going to have to make huge art, we're going to cathartically burn a huge wooden statue of a man at the end, there's going to be no bathrooms. Well, what demographic are you targeting to buy the, the first tickets year one? It's like, <laughs> there is no demographic for Burning Man. Burning Man became its own demographic. So you don't um you don't, you don't say who are, are we targeted to as are just it doesn't really apply. What we decided to do was if uh if all of the industry, the music industry, the music distribution industry, the industry of having all band members show up at one rehearsal spot, uh which later became hello the year of uh um uh, huge illness and six feet apart. Um, we decided to flip all of it on its ear. Just flip all of it. Because if it's more than 50% screwed up, if we just do everything differently, we're already 60% into the better. Because it's just not working anymore. You got too many artists that are being built up. Uh, based on image and not on song quality and not on song uh, longevity. Or, uh, you know, they're not signing, like, uh, Led Zeppelin a five-album deal. You know, everyone gets, like, one song to find their own popularity on without any label or local radio payola or support or whatever. And if that one song comes over, maybe the distributor, the label will put money behind you and if it doesn't start hitting right away on streaming media, um, it's over. Go work in a fast food place flipping burgers. But so, what we're all about is doing everything differently. So at what point did you think the world needs arc and a different perspective of music? We, we are two to three years ahead of everyone. Um, you know, my, my cousin, Steve Wozniak, who was a 
Steve Jobs' partner at Apple and, and brought about the first computer. And I grew up um, not directly related to his family um, through communication, but directly inspired uh, by him to be an innovator and a pioneer. And when I went to high school, um, at the same high school that Ernest Hemingway went to and Frank Lloyd Wright, um, I realized that I was intended for greatness, and greatness always comes with innovation or taking chances. So I, I was inspired to, to do something unique and different my entire life and got involved with all sorts of unique music videos, industrial music build-out, and when it came time to really get my own group after having a number of rock groups, I said, I can't have a group because somebody's going to all try to screw the same blonde girl and the group's going to fall apart again. I need a collective, um, hence the name Aaron Over Rhythm Collective. I can't have five members of a band all going to John Bon Jovi and saying, well, what part of the band do I own? And John saying, this is a Bon Jovi organization that's run by my brother and my mother and me, and you'll be a paid employee, Richie Sambora, or whatever. I didn't want to play by all the mistakes I had made with four or five different bands when I was in my 20s and my 30s. I don't want sex screwing it up. Who owns what percentage of what band? Who, you know, who's going to take this, you know? What it came down to was, let's do all that differently. We don't rehearse together. We rehearse, like, on Zoom and remotely, and we swap tracks. We do all the things that are happening now with uh, NFTs, but we've been doing it for three years. I have interviews with us almost three years ago, Michael Teach and other people explaining all of this, and now everything we're talking about is beginning to happen now. It's only because of the genius of Roger Ebner and Desi Mink uh, and myself that we can claim that and that we have a paper trail and a sound trail of us speaking out what then became uh, the future process in which our very industry runs and will run, uh, including virtual concerts, virtual rehearsals, virtual recording. We were able to make 50 or 60 amazing demos, you know, even uh, well-mixed demos or final tracks, 50 or 60 in less than two years by not having to show up at the same place at the same time. Wow. By being able to work when we were at our most comfortable, when, when Bessie had time, she's building a family, when Roger um, you know, was feeling good and then had time, you know, when you're at your best, you're, you're often in your underwear going up to take a leak at three in the morning. And all of a sudden you go, wait, that da-da-da-da-da goes with da-da-da-da. And if you can run over to your home studio, which needs to be plugged in and warmed up, no time to mess around. It's three in the morning. You're probably going to pee all over the gear if you're not careful. <laughs> but you want to get that riff recorded. It takes you two minutes and it's all warmed up. And you pick up the guitar and you're through to the looms and you just record that and go back to bed. Well, well, that's when you're channeling. That's when you're at your very best. And we've been doing that, giving each other the opportunity to not all have to be at four o'clock at this place all seven of us, mm. when the wife is calling and the daycare needs the kids picked up and you just got all the traffic. No, we each go to our home studio and have taught ourselves the right codec, the right format to always work in and have gotten up to a level of quality that we can each remotely work and have learned how to have one or two producers who know how to put that together, George Martin it for us. And it's been an incredibly successful process leading to each one each one of our songs is independently owned and operated we have songs where we had uh, Neil Clark come in and play harmonica well Neil, Neil Clark owns 15% for life of that track but doesn't own any part of the band 
or royalties on any of the other tracks, and somehow it's compartmentalized so that we can bring in many different guest artists, like maybe paid out on a Tony Bennett and guests album, Tony Bennett and Amy Winehouse. Well, Amy Winehouse gets a part of the track with her and him that gets streaming, but she might not get percentage on the, the Tony Bennett and the Lady Gaga song. So we just, we started a process that uh, we feel is very innovative and we live by it and it rocks. Well, let's have, a, have another break. You can have another slurp of uh, iced coffee. And yeah. we will listen to uh, an Indian-Asian feel. Close your Ooh. eyes and imagine that you're on that magic carpet as you're whisked away into the horizon as yes. we play Night of Shiva. Yes. show we've got chris anthem wozniak with me your music takes you on um a journey to faraway places now how do you start your music writing process what comes first the music or the lyrics what comes first the music or the lyrics well um because of the very nature of how we write uh songs as our rhythm collection and i would associate that to let's say a fleetwood mac 
Okay. Is Christy and John McVie coming in the studio with a demo? Uh, is, uh, Steamy Nicks coming in? Uh, somebody is going to bring in a song idea and usually that's Bessie. Bessie Mink, if you don't know, is a songwriting robot from a divine female planet who, um, you know, you can talk to a rapper and say, can you do a freestyle about my girl? Her name is uh, Janice, and she works at Burger King. And the rapper will go, she's like my niece. It's the thing. Her name is Janice. She works at Burger King, you know. And they'll, they'll freelance what's called off the top. Yeah. I have never met somebody who can off the top like a, a, an amazing song on guitar like Vessie Mink. She, you can give her, I've been telling her for years and she's done this a bit. Take, give her like 10 word suggestions from the audience, like a comedian, like a rapper and watch her write on the spot without thinking about it. Just channel those words into a beautiful four minute song that sounds like James Taylor just wrote it. I've never met anyone with her ability or seen anyone on America's Got Talent or anywhere else who could, she could go on America's Got Talent, like I said, and take eight or 10 words from the audience and write, let it be in front of you on guitar. Not write it, but just bring it, just sing it. That talent and I don't know if you were able to pick that up from your interview with her because she's giving you finished songs. But a lot of times Bessie will come with a song idea. Um, when she's not doing that, well, when she does that, I will add um, my very unique style of adding percussion and you know synthesizers, which is very out of the box, very first four Peter Gabriel albums, okay? Uh, Salisbury Hill, you know. Um, Other times, I will sit down and listen, and I learned this a lot from uh, Ed Paschke, too. Um, You know, Ed used to take photos of his friends, uh, and then he'd bring them into the studio. An amazing painter, Ed, Ed Paschke. Um, then he would use an overhead projector and onto like a five foot canvas, he would overhead project these Polaroids he had taken of his friends and maybe just zoom in on one half of the sunglasses. Then he would like pencil out <clears throat> that one half of the sunglasses five feet high. Then he would roll the projector back and put in a play by model from 1954. And he would project her full body across that one sunglass lens, again, on a five-foot-high canvas, again, penciled in. So he's using um, already existing elements and being inspired by them, sketching them, and then roll that all away and grab uh, oil paint of, like, fluorescent, crazy colors and start going with that pencil sketching. So for me, I will <clears throat> listen to um, Angel by Massive Attack, and I will denote the tempo. You are my angel. Okay, that's 118 beats per minute. So I'll go in and set up a 118 click. Click, 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 click. Then I'll listen to the song, and I'll realize comfortably above that's a D note and it goes to to bring me love love that's an F so it goes from D to F so I'll go in and just play a D note on my piano or synth or an F and I'm not ripping off the melody I'm just finding that same heartbeat and then what key complements a different key then from that point, <clears throat> I can have tons of fun because I'll go in a million different directions 
but I have the foundation of that click, that beat, basically, and those two chords. Once you have that as your rope, you can be a kite. You can be a balloon. You can go crazy because you're, you're tethered. You're anchored to something that works. And now because I've done that enough, I've learned what are great tempos for myself, what are great key uh, chords. Mm. And now I can, I can do that on my own without having to really look at other art. But usually I will get my inspiration to go make music. I don't play video games, Neil. I don't play, uh, and, and, you know, PlayStation, Xbox. When I sit down at the computer to have fun, I don't have the joystick. I have the music mouse. And for me, I have as much fun sliding the colored things around and the capsules, hitting the buttons on the keyboard, as I do if I were playing a Halo or some PlayStation War game. Yeah. Let's take another break and play your next song. Now, this one's rather psychedelic. Um, well, what called, have we heard so far? It's called Velvet Lollipop. Yes. That's very psychedelic, isn't it? Well, Velvet, you know, um, the Velvet Lollipop, what does that mean? Um, we, I was listening to uh, On the Good Ship Lollipop, the uh, uh, Shirley Temple song. Uh, into bed you'll hop and dream away on the other side of Peppermint Bay. And, you know, my grandmother used to sing this. Uh, it was one of the first talkie movies. And the video is Shirley Temple at like nine, eight or nine years old with a big lollipop. And she's going down a train car singing this and all these like, very adoring, like 40 and 50 year old men are like passing her literally from their laptop to their laptop and, and putting her back into the middle. And then the other guy takes a turn and I'm like, can you imagine if they had a video like this today where some cute nine year old in blonde curls with a lollipop and there's got an older men like putting her on each other's laps. Like, you know, all the way through. And I thought, this is really, really disturbing. And so I said, this is, I want to make a disturbing song out of that. So it's not like this Disney, like, hey, I'm good, Chef Lollipop. Like, what if this were like Johnny Cash singing Nine Inch Nails Hurt? You know, what if we flipped it? And I, I got a good groove going electronically with some digital rock. And uh, made it a little bit twisted, and let's have a go. Well, it certainly is twisted, but it's very much it's very much open to interpretation. And see what you think to it. This is called the Velvet Lollipop.
welcome back. Um, Chris Wozniak is with me. Um, what has been your biggest highlights in your life? The biggest highlights in my life? Well, there's two roads. I told my father on his deathbed that I would get the college degree that he never got himself. He always wanted me to get a college degree because he never got one. He went to the University of Illinois, um, uh, or he went to IIT, Illinois Institute of Technology, but he never got a degree. And my mother never got a college degree either. And I was the firstborn, and my father always told me, get that college degree and make me proud. So when I was a sophomore or junior at Columbia College Chicago, I told my father 60 seconds away from his final breath as he was just barely alive, I'm getting going to get the degree. I will not drop out of college. So I would have to say that that's the number one milestone for me is that when it was a blizzard, when Chicago weather was really bad, when I had no car that day, when I was buttoning up my coat with eight large safety pins because the zipper was broken, mm-hmm. I was doing it in honor of my father. And that, when I got my diploma, was a major personal victory. I would, I would say the um, another one was... Uh, Definitely uh, going to Hollywood and working with George Takai on a Star Trek um, one-hour quote-unquote fan episode. Like, you have these Star Trek Enterprise and other shows now that borrowed what we did um, with Mark Sikri and um, James Cawley. Um, There's a cult of uh, Star Trek uh, fans and science fiction writers who um, had started redoing new or doing new Star Trek episodes. And Mark worked with me on a short film for his wife, uh, Elaine uh, Zickery, Z-I-C-R-E-E, for you Googling people at home. And um, Mark got me involved in doing a show, uh, a one-hour short film with George Takai in it, uh, and, and we won a TV Guide Award for it. I spent four months making it as the editor, post-supervisor, and we had a thousand special effects shots. And after I'd moved to Hollywood for a few years and worked on a number of reality and other shows, um, as far as my film editing career, that became the pinnacle. It was the most amount of work. Um, it was called Star Trek World Enough and time. Now, from a, mus- from a musical standpoint, it has to be today. Today, with you, Neil, here on this phone, uh, with Bessie Mink um, being as supportive and loving as she's right now, and the number of collaborators I'm working with, I could not be happier with my music career right now. Right now. I, I, I have, I'm a phone call away from eager people. It's like, I got John Lennon over here. I got Paul McCartney over here. I got Jimmy uh, Hendrix over there. They're all like waiting for my phone call to be like, hey, I got a hot new one. You want to put some extra tracks on it? Sure, send it over. I mean, I just couldn't be luckier. And and it's only because I've developed my skill uh, and I've developed myself and promoted myself that I can sit there and say that. But right now I'm at the peak of my, my, my joy with my personal musical expression. Um, some of the highlights of my life, I don't know, first tricycle, first big wheel, you know, can you be more specific? Well, I think, I think you, I think your highlights you've, you've, you've said as being, you know, your, 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 uh, father's, uh, dying wish was for you to go to college and get your degree, which you've, yeah, you've achieved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and the fact, one. and the fact that your, your music business has been required by other top artists and by the, your audience that long on, and awaits for, 
for your music to keep on churning out um, is a real big highlight. So if I was to ask you now, what um, if you could perform with any living artist, who would it be? And then we'll go for a break. Any living artist? Living artist, not a dead one, a living one. Because I love good music, and I love good singers, and if I were on stage in front of a huge crowd at Wembley Stadium, and we were rocking the show, it would be Bessie Mink. Bessie Mink is my number one dream artist for performing in front of a crowd with, with both of our voices together. And it's only because I know the power that we yield when we really get together. On, on a celebrity front, I would love to jam on stage with Johnny Depp. I think it would be a lot of fun. Um, as far as musical talent, um, I gotta say, um, well, what, what is her name? Um, Shirley Bassey. Oh, yeah, there's there's a real dime. I would love to sing with Shirley. She's my Capricorn goddess. I would love to sing with Annie Lennox. She's another Capricorn goddess. Um, If I could have Shirley Bassey on my left and Annie Lennox on my right, you can put me in the casket right after. I'm good. Followed by your jar of peanut butter, but we're going to take a break now. We're going well, to you throw that in the casket. Take a break and play uh, your next song as we go to faraway places on this magic carpet again, full of Eastern promise. As we play Redlocks Raja.
welcome back. Uh, Chris, what's on the horizon for you and the Aranova Rhythm Collective? Well, there's a lot on the horizon on the Upper Aranova Rhythm Collective, and I'm glad you're asking this question, Neil, because it gives an opportunity to spill the beans on what we're working on. Uh, right now, uh, we're creating a number of um, uh, we're creating a number of new types of music properties that bring um, an artist closer to their bands. In other words, uh, the NFT uh, generation has now inspired us to create uh, NFT uh, musical gift baskets and to start uh, giving some of our videos um, ownership amongst our fan base. And we're also um, developing the ARC coin, uh-huh. uh, which has already been designed. Um, and what this is, is, uh, you know, unlike Dogecoin, I'm a crypto market, which is, you know, meant to be a, a very widely held uh, way of exchanging power, uh, a commerce currency thing. It really doesn't have much backbone underneath Dogecoin. Uh, Cardano, ADA, uh, on the other side, uh, is something where, like, there's more to it. Like, as you trade it and as you, um, what is it, as you stash it away, and it actually builds roads. It puts school books into schools. It, it has a lot more. I'm not an expert on Cardano, but some of these coins function on actually doing things in the world uh, goes on beneath the trading, and some of it is just frosting on the cake. What the art coin is, is I want an artist like Bansky, for instance, to go to Sotheby's and say, I'm only going to accept the art coin for my next auction because our coin uh, funds arts education. Uh-huh. Every time somebody uses the ARC coin, the ARC art coin, somebody is that much closer to being given an art school scholarship. This continues on with me finding Jennifer Hudson and working with the Music Awareness Program, which I mentioned earlier. I have a lifelong commitment to giving back to the music world, specifically in the area of young people and encouraging them to find their God through art and music like I have. So um, part of the future I'm working with Bessie is uh, Bessie and I have started a series of Zoom meetings uh, online uh, sort of roundtables where we've been bringing in different programmers and artists who are developing uh, NFTs already for major label people and major uh, digital art owners, uh, forming collections, working with online um, auctioning services to uh, develop a number of art products, uh, videos that we've made, you know, uh, videos that weren't really finished, sort of art school videos, uh, and a few things right now, which I don't want to get too specific about, but they involve turning our raw demos, our videos, and some of our early posters, signed posters and things, into um, NFT properties. And then giving um, those people uh, who become our collectors on an NFT level uh, much higher access to us, um, you know, uh, like some of the things that have been going down um, in the NFT world are like Kings of Leon got all the news recently because they said, you know, if you become an NFT owner of the album, it's not like going and spending $9.99 for the CD anymore. Now it's like you get the Kings of Leon leather sleeve varsity jacket and you get welcomed with a plate of sushi 
at the VIP room at the concert hall, and you get five front row seats. Well, what's the difference? Well, somebody went and spent $49 on a ticket. Somebody else went and spent $499 on an NFT, but they became the stamped signed owner of this 30-second loop. You know, it's like uh, Jimi Hendrix's solo um, on Purple purple Haze. Just the solo, you know, let's say it could be turned into an official certificate that says this part of the song, this digital 30-second moment, is owned by Neil David. And anybody playing it, you know, uh, has to see royalties to him or he is the, you know, uh, the, the library stamped official owner of that moment of that song digitally recorded here. And now every time there's a Jimmy, uh, well, he's dead, but every time there's a Kings of Leon concert, Neil is not only the owner of that song, but he's also got four front row seats to the show. And he's also got 10 t-shirts. And he's got, he becomes sort of a stockholder in the band. And that's a big difference between just buying a ticket, sitting in an uncomfortable nosebleed chair, you know, with your legs crammed behind you, trying to eat a popcorn with your elbows squeezed in, and being for $500, which is a lot more, you're bringing three of your friends to sit in the front row and to all be given a $50 t-shirt. So if you're going to spend the $500, would you rather do it a la carte or would you rather do it as an NFT that the band holds close to their heart and you wind up having meatloaf dinner with their grandma next time they're in, in town? It actually is intending to bring the artist over time closer and closer to their fans. And if one of your fans of Kings of Leon who owns an NFT becomes a billionaire, they might build a studio for Kings of Leon. Just give it to them. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So the future of this is a lot different than the old method of how many millions of fans can we get to buy one record? And it becomes, can we find that one fan who happens to be Richard, who becomes Richard Branson, who's going to build us the Kings of Leon moving music studio in Dallas, Texas, and give it to us, you know, and maybe take points up of what we make. It doesn't matter. We want to find one fan to put a million dollars behind us, not nine ninety nine, and that's how the industry is changing. So, where are the best places now then to get your music from, and or get your merchandise? Well, we're, ARC is available um, on Amazon, it's available on Pandora, Spotify, uh, it's available on iTunes. We work through uh, DistroKid to um, get our material out, but we proprietarily release on Bandcamp. Uh, we have a Bandcamp site that we really love, it allows us to sell merchandise very easily. It allows us to um, get songs up and streaming right away. We don't have to wait like four or five days for it to trickle into the Apple Store and iTunes and Pandora. It, you know, it takes a while for the distribution to happen. Not long, but Bandcamp is where a lot of our fans go to buy our music. And most of our fans, by the way, pay around $10 per song. We, we list the songs at 99 cents or $1.99, but most of our diehard fans, uh, like Michael Teach, I'll shout out to, they'll spend like $10, mm. and they always do. Well, that's all we got time for. The sands of time have run out. And, uh, ah, uh, yes, I would like to thank 
you, Chris, for coming onto this show, for sharing your knowledge and wealth of the music industry and how you got involved. Um, for everyone else, you can catch up with all my guests at tinyurl.com forward slash newstars show that stars with a Z. Um, I will be playing out with your final song, Chris, being You Tried to Hold Me Down. A fantastic reggae piece. Love it. This song is the perfect one to end the show with because nobody's going to hold me down or Bessie down. And we got a great pop song here that expresses that. And I hope you all enjoy it. I've had a wonderful time being here on your show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And join me next time when I'll be talking to another new star. I wonder who it'll be. Chris Anthem Wozniak. You are a new star. Well, you're a star anyway, but you are a new star on New Stars. Um, from myself, uh, Neil Clark, and my fantastic guest, Chris Anthem Wozniak, I'll let you say goodbye. Thank you, Neil. God bless you. Namaste. From us to you, goodbye. If you don't you know it's true, it's true. It's true.